Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. When a young couple finds out that they're going to have a baby, there are expectations and hopes and dreams that come along with that. As those parents imagine what that child's going to be like, what that child's going to do, what that child is going to accomplish. And every parent wants to be able one day to look at their son or daughter and to say proudly, this is my son, this is my daughter, look what they accomplished, look what they did. But with that, of course, is going to come inevitable disappointment, right? Kids don't often live up to the expectations maybe that parents set for them. You can imagine the dad, the, the super basketball fanatic who places the little basketball inside his son's crib when he's just days old. As he envisions a phenomenal basketball player that he'll be able to root for, but the son grows up hating sports. Or you think about the mother who maybe prays for her daughter every night and, and does everything she can to raise her daughter the right way. And yet she receives the phone call late at night. She needs to be picked up from the county jail. Yes, kids often don't live up to the expectations that maybe their parents set for them. Well, throughout our Advent series, we're going to be thinking about some father-son relationships from the Old Testament. And especially thinking about those expectations that those fathers and sometimes mothers as well place upon their children. And also see how those sons often didn't live up to those expectations. But each time, each week, we'll come back again to that father and son relationship, the perfect one between the Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That perfect relationship in which the Son meets all expectations, perfectly obeying the will of His Heavenly Father the one to whom the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my Son whom I love, I am well pleased with him. So this evening we begin with perhaps the most disappointing son of all human history, Cain, the son of Adam. And our reading is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. The man was intimate with Eve, his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have gotten a man with the Lord. She also gave birth to Cain's brother, Abel. Abel tended sheep, but Cain worked the ground. As time passed, one day Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the soil. Abel also brought some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord looked favorably on Abel and his offering, but he did not look favorably on Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry, and his face showed it. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why do you have that angry look on your face? If you do good, will you not be lifted up? If you do not do good, sin is crouching at the door. It has a strong desire for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to Abel, his brother, let's go into the field. When they were in the field, Cain attacked Abel, his brother, and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the soil. Now you are cursed and sent away from the soil, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the soil, it will no longer give its strength to you. 
You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. Look, today you have driven me away from the soil. I'll be hidden from your face. I'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, No, if anyone kills Cain, he will face sevenfold revenge. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that anyone who found him would not strike him down. Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are the truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, Adam and Eve very likely had high expectations for their firstborn son. Perhaps we can see it in the name that they give to him, the name Cain. After all, that name means acquired. Perhaps they gave him that name recognizing that they had acquired this son from God. He had come as a gift from God and thought of him in that way. But perhaps especially because of this, do we maybe think about those high expectations that Adam and Eve had for Cain? Note in our text for today what Eve says after giving birth to Cain. She says, I have gotten a man with the Lord. Now, there are many theologians, including Martin Luther himself, who believe that those Hebrew words could be translated in a different way. They very well could be translated in this way, that Eve could easily have said, I have gotten a man, the Lord. It's very possible, then, that Adam and Eve believed that this child that was born was the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to them in Genesis 3, verse 15, where God had promised the seed of the woman who would come and crush the serpent's head. It could very well be that Adam and Eve thought of this child as the Savior of the world that God had promised. Boy, were they mistaken. Perhaps it was the lofty expectations placed on him that we could point to that led to his selfish pride, or maybe just the fact that he had been born an inheritor of sin passed down from his parents, Adam and Eve, or both. What is clear, though, at least in Hebrews chapter 11, why God received the gift of Abel, but not that of Cain tells us there that Abel possessed true faith in God. And so God recognized that gift as a, a good gift given in thanksgiving to him out of faith in him. But God rejected Cain's offering because his heart did not belong to God. And as a result, anger and envy fill his heart. That his brother's gift was accepted and not his own what does God do at that point? He comes and warns him. He warns him that this sin is going to result in other sins, so beware. It's like an animal crouching at the door. Instead of trying to tame that animal, he lets it loose. He lets it pounce as he himself pounces on his brother Abel and takes his life and becomes the very first murderer. Can you imagine what Adam and Eve thought about all of this? I mean, imagine, for those that are parents and grandparents here today, imagine 
if your child killed one of your other children. It's, it's unfathomable to, to think of that, that, that someone would do that to their own flesh and blood. And not only this, it had never been done before. This was the very first murder. They must have been shocked, disappointed, to say the least. But also there must have been part of them that remembered why. Because of their own sin, because of their own disobedience against God and his commands, they had become sinful, and that sin had now been passed down to their offspring. And one of them, as a result of this sin, turned against his brother and took his life. Romans chapter 5, verse 19, St. Paul writes these words, Through the disobedience of one man, many became sinners. We are reminded that it isn't just Cain that was infected with sin, but us too. We say, though, but pastor, I'm no murderer. But we remember what Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He said that anyone who becomes angry with his brother without cause is liable to the judgment of murder. He says that anyone who insults his brother and says, you fool, will face the same condemnation of Cain, separation from God. And we consider ourselves, even though we want to say, well, I haven't committed murder, haven't we done what Cain did in other ways? Haven't we had those thoughts and, and feelings of hatred and resentment against our fellow man, sometimes or even our own brother and sister within our own families? Haven't we, at times, maybe not given our gifts to the Lord with the right heart? Maybe we've given them reluctantly. Maybe we've given our leftovers. Haven't there been times when we've claimed that we're not our brother's keeper? and We've overlooked the needs of our fellow man, even though they're right there in front of us. Can any of us claim to have lived up to the expectation that God has for us? his children. This is why the psalmist writes in Psalm 146, do not trust in human helpers, in a mortal man who cannot save you. His spirit departs. He returns to the ground he came from. On that day his plans have perished. Adam and Eve were obviously wrong if they ever thought that Cain was the savior. He wasn't. That doesn't mean that God failed concerning his promise. God was still planning to use a son of Adam, one who is truly a human being, but also one who would be the son of God as well, to be our Savior. It's interesting to think about when he came into the world, in a world filled with murder and hatred, he came as, as true God, the God of love and the God of life, and yet... What did mankind do? What did his brothers in the flesh do? They hated him from birth, didn't they? They sought to destroy him. And as we think about even as he grew older, and especially during his ministry, as those religious leaders continued to attack him and continued to try to take him down and, and find ways to get rid of him, as we know what then soon unfolded, as it led to his murder. 
Now, we often don't talk about Jesus' death as murder, but isn't that what it is? Yes, Jesus faced a, a jury, he was put up on trial before the Sanhedrin. But that trial was based on lies and misunderstanding. He stood before a judge of sorts, a Pilate, who could either set him free or condemn him to death. And Pilate decided that he was innocent and wanted to let him free. But because of the crowd, he condemned him to death. That doesn't sound like justice, does it? It sounds like murder by judge and jury. It's interesting, the picture of what takes place in all of it. If you recall, when Pilate knows of Jesus' innocence and he wants to, to free him, yet he knows the crowd is so turned against him and they want blood, what does Pilate do? He comes up with this plan, doesn't he? He, he remembers that he often has given to the Jewish people during Passover one of their own. He's released one of their own prisoners as kind of an olive branch to the Jewish people over whom he rules. And so for this Passover, he tries to find the worst criminal he can, one who is guilty of murder and of causing riots among the people. And he puts these two next to each other, Barabbas or Jesus. And he's convinced that the crowd's going to choose Barabbas because who's going to want a murderer on their hands, right? Jesus isn't guilty of such crimes. But the crowd chooses Barabbas to be set free. And they cry out for Jesus to be crucified. But in that, we see an incredible picture, don't we? Think about that exchange that, that takes place. The murderer who deserves condemnation, who deserves death, who deserves hell. He's allowed to go free. But who takes his place? The innocent victim, he goes under the executioner's hammer and nail. He takes the punishment that the murderer deserved, what Barabbas deserved, what you deserved. As John reminds us in 1 John chapter 3, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Jesus took Barabbas' place and he took your place under the executioner's hammer and nail as he goes to the cross for you and for me. And what's amazing in all of it is that this son of Adam is so different than Cain. Cain comes as this life taker, the one who's guilty of murder. But Christ comes as the life giver, the one from whom all life is given for all who believe. You remember Jesus' own words that we read today in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God gives his Son. Why? So that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. God gives the gift of his Son to be murdered for you and for me, to suffer our punishment so that he could give us life forever. But even more than that, so that through faith in Christ, his righteousness, his holiness, his perfect record, as that perfect son of God becomes ours, 
So that now as God looks at us, he doesn't see his worthless sons and daughters who have violated so many of his commands. Instead, he sees us covered with Christ, with his righteousness. And he declares to you today, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Amen.